0: On this episode of the OFNT Podcast, I have some tech news and a little podcast news, very little news from the world of entertainment, and a short story, and I close it out with a rant. Take it away. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the OFNT Podcast. OFNT stands for Old Fart, New Tech. I'm your host and resident Old Fart, Jim Schaefer, and the new tech, at least to me, is this podcast. I hope you are doing well and having a great week. I also hope this finds you virus-free. Politics, pandemic or not... Yet another investigatory committee is being formed. I think they should rename that branch of our government called the House of Representatives to the House of Investigations. We didn't elect these people to just continuously blow money on investigation after investigation, which haven't yielded anything of substance. So much for being united to fight the coronavirus. Enough said. Well, we'll start off with some tech news. From 9 to 5 Mac, Apple purchases hyperlocal weather app Dark Sky, ending API and killing Android apps. In a big move to improve its weather app, Apple has purchased the highly popular iOS app Dark Sky. Along with the acquisition comes the end of Dark Sky for Android, as well as an end to the API that's used by popular apps like Carrot Weather and more. Dark Sky announced the news in a blog post today. The news will certainly mean a much improved native weather app for iOS, but also brings with it some downsides like ending access to the API in 2022 and killing off the Android app. I have mixed emotions about this. I purchased this app for iOS and have subscribed to the Android version before. I'm not sure if the app is subscription based on iOS these days. I bought this when it was a new app and before the subscription model, which I abhor, became popular. What drew me to this app is its ability to deliver weather reports and alerts not just for your town, but down to your neighborhood. Sometimes it is wrong, but most times it's spot on. Currently, I don't use any apps that use the subscription system of payment. I'd rather pay more up front than have to fork over a monthly payment. While I'm looking forward to the functionality of this app that's going to be incorporated into the iOS native app, it's sad that users on other platforms won't have access to to it any longer. Next from Fox News. Headline, Huawei. China will hit back at new U.S. trade restrictions. I'll sum up this article rather than read verbatim. Some Huawei executive says that their masters in Beijing will not stand by while the company gets slaughtered. That was his words. Like some exotic animal at a wet market in Wuhan. The latter part of that were my words. He goes on to threaten damage to the global economy and destruction of other corporations. Now this just shows me that the new restrictions that would prevent Huawei from purchasing or manufacturing microchips which used or is using U.S. technology, has the company scared. After the mess caused by the coronavirus pandemic, I believe this is going to be the least of China's worries. Also, I thought Huawei was independent, in their words, from the government. Hmm. Next, Apple's iPhone 9 will likely launch within the next five days. Well, I can tell you right now that's not true. That This was from Mashable.com. Due to the coronavirus outbreak, Apple certainly won't have any sort of physical launch event for the rumored iPhone 9. But there's pretty good indication that the phone is coming, and soon. 9to5Mac has received a photo from a tipster at Best Buy showing a case for new iPhone, 4.7-inch 2020, which fits the description of the new phone, which will probably be called the iPhone 9 or iPhone SE2. The case won't go up for sale until April 5th, which is, at the time of this article, six days away, making it probable that the new iPhone will launch in that period. Well, other outlets are reporting that this model will be released on April 14th, and I think that's going to be true because nothing happened over this weekend. And I'm referencing all these articles in the past claiming that this launch would be delayed. There are quite a few of them, as I recall. I did find one article claiming that the model was already in late production just before the pandemic hit. I guess they had better sources. Now, how about the iPhone 12? It's been quiet on that front. Next up, according to CNET.com, Amazon has delayed until August the company's popular Prime Day due to the coronavirus pandemic. The sale day is usually held in July. July. With all that's going on, I mean, I don't think anybody's even thinking of Prime Day. And most of the tech news this week was about the video conferencing app Zoom, which has gotten wildly popular during these lockdowns. The company that produces the app is being panned for its lack of security features and the mishandling of users' data, like selling your data to Facebook and China for some reason. I have to say it again. If the app is free, you... Or the product now it's time for some self-indulgence. It's tech I'm using In another episode, I expressed my interest in the new iPad pro, well especially the new keyboard, as a mobile computing solution for myself. Many episodes ago, I reviewed a gift I had received from my daughter Jessica, a new Laxi laptop stand. New is the brand name. I love the thing. To me, it's the perfect way to lift your computer up, which makes it more comfortable to type and view the screen. My typing gotten a lot better since using this thing. For about $21, it couldn't be beat. My MacBook Pro fit perfectly on it, but my MacBook Air, while fitting fine on it, couldn't be opened while sitting on it. Because of the wedge-shaped design of the air, the area where you would lift the cover is just too tall. You have to lift the computer up from the stand to open it. A minor niggle, but a niggle all the same. The price of the stand has gone up to uh, over $30. Still worth it, but less so. I had planned to eventually purchase another one of these stands, so I added it to my Amazon wish list, hoping for a price drop. Instead, I watched the price steadily increase. I deleted it from my list, but as I'm sure you guys who purchase stuff from Amazon know, the website likes to recommend things to you. The items you might be interested in section popped up, a portable version of the new Laxi stand, and at the time it cost $21, so I went for it. Unfortunately, the price has increased to $28 as I record this. Compared to the regular stand, this one is lighter, a bit thinner, and instead of being made from a solid piece of aluminum, it has a hollowed out port in the middle of the stand. This, as the company advertises, helps to cool your computer. The best part is that the MacBook Air is able to be opened without having to lift it off from the stand. Now, you might ask yourself, what does this have to do with my lust for a new iPad Pro? The stand is light and portable enough to fit my computer bag. It adds no perceptible weight and folds flat for an easy fit. Now, why would I settle for an iPad when I can have a, quote, real computer with a, quote, real full-size keyboard and a larger display? Now, let's move into some entertainment news. Not much at all eOnline.com has the following headline, Jane Fonda Joins TikTok and Revives Her Iconic 80s Workout Routine. Jane Fonda was the OG fitness influencer, so it only makes sense she brings back her 80s workout video for TikTok. The famous actress, activist, and model joined TikTok this week to share how she's staying fit during the coronavirus epidemic. She shared on TikTok, quote, Hello, TikTok. I'm bringing back the Jane Fonda workout to fight for the climate crisis, I'm old enough to remember your past, Hanoi Jane. I'm sure many Vietnam veterans are waiting to piss on your grave. If you guys out there are too young to remember or are just unaware, search Jane Fonda Vietnam to see what I'm referring to. It seems celebrities have learned their lessons and have stopped putting out videos for us peasants. These videos have done nothing but showed us just how shallow, self-indulgent, and out of touch they are. Besides release dates for movies being pushed back until fall, there wasn't much in entertainment news that caught my interest. Of course, like most of you, I've been watching a lot of television. HBO is offering over 500 hours of content for free, which is a good thing. And other streaming services have joined them like Showtime and Epix. So check them out. There's some stuff on there that's pretty good to watch. Tiger King seems to be the hot show now. So over the last few days, I watched all the episodes. These are things I gleaned from that uh, documentary. First of all, I had had no idea of this fascination with big cats, especially tigers. And another takeaway from this is that most of the people who are involved in this thing with tigers are former felons and love methamphetamine. Now, I'm not an animal activist, but I don't think the so-called private zoos should be allowed. Just look at the problems with invasive species states such as Florida are having. With the uh, pythons, I think they are. And also, why does a person have a need to own exotic and dangerous animals? Yeah, my, my opinion is I, I leave animals alone if, if they leave me alone. Like, I don't bother them if they don't bother me. A little story with this. Well, a few years ago, while taking a guided tour in the woods of Alaska... The guide lamented that it was too warm for bears to be out. I responded that it was fine with me and that bears are overrated. I got some looks from the rest of the people on the tour. Do people realize how vicious bears are? They are not like the teddy bears you had as a kid. They will eat you, and unlike a big cat that would at least kill you before consuming you, a bear will eat you while you're still alive. Just think about that. David Spade's lo-fi interviews on YouTube are pretty good. I've been watching a lot of that stuff. And some comedians have uh, good video podcasts, uh, too. Uh, This guy, Chris D'Elia, I've never heard of him prior to the lockdown. He has great little bits from his video podcast. What are you guys uh, watching out there? Next up, I'm going to do some podcast news. NeimanLab.org has the headline, It appears people staying at home all the time is bad for podcasting. From the article, PodTrack published their latest report on listening trends amid the coronavirus crisis last night. It draws on data up until last Sunday. The dip in listening continues. The rest of the article breaks down the data saying the biggest decline came in the true crime genre. It goes on to speculate on reasons for the decline in listeners. I've had a decline in listeners for this podcast, and according to my podcast stats anyway, but I'm not depending on it for income, so I'm not really bothered. In my personal case, I listen to podcasts mainly on my commute to and from work. Uh, and that's a commute I haven't had to make since last Saturday, and when I was working out at the gym, which I haven't been able to attend since last month. Podcasts replaced radio for me in my vehicle and replaced listening to music at at the gym during my workouts. I suspect this is the same for a, a lot of other people. I think this has been the major reason for the decline in listeners since the lockdown. The podcasts that I think are suffering the most are those slickly produced ones from studios where the host or talent... Just come in and read their parts while audio technicians edit and polish the end products. These podcasts now have no access to the studios that they used to record in. And while all parts could be done remotely, the final product just wouldn't be in the same league. So a lot of them have just elected not to put out new episodes. From Current.com, can public podcasting Maintain its lead, the article points out that the largest podcasts these days are put out by companies and organizations like National Public Radio or major news organizations like the New York Times. The revenue stream from these podcasts are steadily increasing, but private corporations are rapidly moving into the space, as the article said, with aggressive new business models. To sum up, the conclusion reached in the article was expect more advertisements in podcasts. So, folks, support your indie podcasters before they go away. The rest of the news feed was made up of the usual announcements of new coronavirus podcasts and celebrities and politicians coming out with their own podcast. A trend we're seeing just explode since the lockdown. All right. Part three of So You Want to Be a Podcaster. In the final part of the series, I'll cover audio interfaces and so-called channel strips. Also, how to get your podcast on Apple and other podcast directories. An audio interface is simply a preamplifier with an analog to digital converter that goes in between your microphone and your computer. You use what's called an XLR cable to attach your mic to the int- interface, which attaches to your computer with a USB cable. Some dynamic mics have very low gain, so you will need a signal booster, which I told you about in previous episodes. Each company that sells them has a different name for them. Sometimes they're called microphone exciters. They're basically a preamp that you put between your microphone and your audio interface. A couple of uh, examples uh, are the uh, Fethead and... The Cloudlifter, those are the two most popular at the moment. Examples of popular audio interfaces are the Focusrite Scarlet series, uh, the Behringer Euphoria series, and, and many others. The prices range from $50 to well over $5,000. Starting out, I would recommend something you can expand with. For example, one that has two microphone inputs and outputs. Unless you know you will never have a co-host or a guest, then go for one with a single input-output. You'll save money. The Focusrite 2i2 is what I use, and it's the most popular right now. Eh, If I was just starting out now, I'd go for the Motu M2, which has just become available. It has a few more features than the Scarlett, and it looks cooler. Now, the software you're going to use to record this, the uh, DAW, Digital Audio Workbook station, has what's called the plugins to process your audio file once recorded, but if you don't have the time to learn how to use them, I would recommend a channel strip. The DBX-286S is the best for podcasters, in my opinion. After you have finished processing your audio, you can save the file as either a WAV or an MP3 file. I recommend uh, the WAV file, WAV file, because it's uncompressed, and you, you're trying to keep your audio uncompressed until it has to be converted into uh, an MP3. You then upload your file uh, to your host. Budsprout and Libsyn are two popular ones, which then convert convert the file to an MP3 file. To publish your podcast, the host will provide you with a unique RSS feed, which you have to register with the various directories like Spotify and Apple. Your host will, will help you do this. It'll, it'll show you the uh, the steps. It takes a few days for the directories to uh, complete your registration, but after that, everything's automatic. You just upload and it goes out. If you use Anchor, all of this is handled for you. So it sounds like that's, that'll be the one to go for, and it's also free. The disadvantage with Anchor is you have no control over your podcast once it's out there, and the stats aren't as precise as the other host services. They, they provide their own email address as a contact point. This series uh, was just a simple and brief description of how to start a podcast. And there are plenty of resources online that go into more depth than, than I can here. Well, I wasn't going to do this, but uh, I got a short story. It's called A Coincidence. Back in the 1980s, I got into shortwave radio listening. Every country had a radio station beaming shows uh, to North America and all the parts of the world, too. With so much uh, to choose from, I quickly picked out my regulars. I used to listen to Radio Moscow for their blatant propaganda, call Israel for news about the Middle East, and of course, the BBC for news of Europe and so on. My favorite was Radio Peking before the name was changed to Beijing. Their their transmitter was so powerful that the signal made the trip to the east coast of the United States without a relay station. There, There must have been a low birth rate amongst the people who lived near that antenna. What I liked about the station was that they hated everybody. The announcers were always angry. Not like today's Radio China, which they're all nice and friendly and we're here to help kind of deal, you know? Anyway, in April of 1985, I shipped out to Kunsan, Korea. Yeisu FRG 7700 all band receiver and tow. It was the most expensive thing I owned at the time, having paid 500 1984 dollars for it. That was a lot of money. And once I got settled in, a few days later, I, I managed to uh, obtain some copper wire to use as an antenna and strung it up around the ceiling. Of my Vietnam era prefab barracks room. My roommate and I settled in to see what we could tune in. Well, I, before I could even moved to dial that much, radio I got Radio Moscow and it blasted in and guess what the subject was? That's right, the announcer was talking about the US airbase at Gunsan, Korea and our B sixteen bomber station there. Of course, we had F-16 fighter jets, which were not bombers, but the propagandists in Moscow were trying to say the U.S. was violating some treaty by stationing bombers in Korea or something, making some accusation. Now, that was a real weird coincidence that I had just hooked up the radio. First station I tuned was Radio Moscow, and that they were talking about a place where I was listening from. My roommate got spooked and said that he couldn't listen to it as if I was some sort of spy and quickly left the room. Today, there are hardly any major uh, shortwave stations left. It's cheaper and easier to just get your message out via the Internet. things still happen on shortwave. A a few so-called spy number stations still broadcast. A number station was and is a way for a spy agency to communicate with agents in the field. A random set of numbers, usually in groups of five, will be read over the air. The voice is synthesized and is repeated a few times. The agent will have what's called a one-time pad and use it to decode the message, then destroy it. The only way to crack the code is if you have the pad. Russia, China, North and South Korea, and Cuba still use number stations. I don't know what the rest of the world's spy agencies use these days. What made me think of this story is that an increase in weird transmissions are happening on shortwave right now. I don't tune in myself, but follow YouTube channels that do. Usually when there is an increase in weird transmission, something's about to go down. And I'll just leave it at that. I have a nice short rant. (laughs) Celebrities with coronavirus. When this pandemic hit the shores, all kinds of celebrities seemed to get tested and were positive for the COVID-19 virus. Besides the fact that they were able to get tested while the rest of us couldn't, they all seemed to make miraculous recoveries well ahead of the 14 or so days us regular folk took to recover. Are they privy to some treatments us peasants aren't? Or are some just not really infected at all? It's like having the coronavirus took the place of adopting African children or having transgendered children to be cool in Hollywood. Strange times and strange people. Well, folks, that'll wrap up episode 22. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed doing it, and I hope you found it worthwhile. You can contact me at ofntpodcast at gmail.com if you were so inclined. You can tell me I suck and then suggest how I can improve this excuse of a show. I'd love to hear from you. So be safe, and I'll see you next week. Rest in peace, Bill Withers. Your music will live forever. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Please, folks, don't get down with the sickness. Now put on your hazard suits and get off my lawn. I'm out. Take care, guys.